Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good afternoon. We're back again. And now we have uh, Sean Nunez's um, part two of his uh, Saturday presentation. So with that, I'll turn it over to Sean. Thank you. So we started talking in the beginning about homeland defense and how homeland defense uh, uh, sort of encompasses irregular warfare. And under irregular warfare, there is unconventional warfare. Unconventional warfare is this program. So we go to, so if you follow along with the PDF file, Slide two shows the same image I showed before, where we have a hostile nation state and supportive insurgency around it. My, what I was saying earlier is that PIs are the hostile nation state, and all of your harassers are the insurgency around you uh, that you know, go through the various actions, street, street theater, uh, the people pulling the triggers on the DEs, and so forth. This actually starts to talk about the very details of what unconventional warfare uh, entails. So going to slide three, um, the main activity of special operations is unconventional warfare. Alongside with that, they heavily use psychological operations, again, called uh, today, military information support operations, and the this joint doctrine allows allows the forces to go ahead and try to resist its movement, to coerce, disrupt, or even overthrow the, the person. In this is reason that government is an example, but in this case, it's essentially leading to your complete passivity or your complete death. Now, I have a few terms on here to define what a resistance movement is uh, according to joint force uh, uh, definitions and coercion and disruption. So I'm just going to go ahead and skip forward to the next slide and just highlight some key points. So, the joint force may employ unconventional warfare to counter regular threats such as states that wage Irregular or proxy war. Now, anything that you do to defend yourself, anything that we do to sort of unite, to figure out what this is, to expose the truth, to get documents so far, that all falls from their perspective under the umbrella of irregular warfare. So therefore, they have to fight back using the same tactics. So it's a very strange thing to sort of conceptualize. Like you're just you're just trying to defend yourself. Well, that you defending yourself is a hostile action. As, as, as timid as it may, as it may be. Um, when a direct U.S. military power, when direct U.S. military power projection or intervention is militarily or politically undesirable or infeasible, unconventional warfare provides decision makers an alternative to counter 
a regular threat. So when the military can't put boots on the ground and just kill people, they turn to unconventional warfare to do that for them as a strategy. The conduct of unconventional warfare requires the full capabilities of a joint force to provide enablers. That means that they need all the sub-agencies to rally around and have these supported roles. Again, from we're talking FBI, we're talking NSA, we're talking DHS, state, local, civilian population. Unconventional warfare requires significant assistance from partner nations providing the following support. So, facing for joint forces, overflight, overflight rights, sanctuary, so forth. What does this mean? This means that your protocol follows you, follows you anywhere in the world. And we've seen plenty of examples of that. We had the, the Weisenbergs that moved to Canada. That's all them there, but Rosenberg? So about years ago. Okay. Uh, but we see examples where your protocol follows you no matter where you go. And that is certainly true for me. I'm sure some of you may contest that as well. Unconventional warfare requires significant interagency participation because the activity includes support to both the military and political aspects of internal opposition. Again, we want to involve every player that they have at their They want to involve every player they have at their disposal. Okay, moving on. So the focus in unconventional warfare is on the indigenous resistance, resistance element, not U.S. force structure and procedure. That means that they're not focusing on their abilities because their abilities typically outmatch the challenge. What they're focused on is on levying all those people around you to fight against you. That's, that's what I interpret this sentence to be. Unconventional warfare is one of the U.S. Special Operations Command's core activities. Again, if you go to the SOCOM NORTHCOM model that I said earlier is running the show. Joint Doctrine defines unconventional warfare as activities conducted to enable a resistance movement for insurgency, coerce, disrupt, or overthrow a government or occupying power by operating through or with an underground Oxillary and guerrilla force in the United area. And finally, to get the justification, public law defines unconventional warfare as activities conducted to enable resistance movement or insurgency to, again, same lines, but it's authorized by the National Defense Authorization Act. So that essentially is the presidential order that makes policy commentators null and void. Let's talk about their stages, and there's seven of them in unconventional warfare. The goal is the steady state. So the steady state is the status quo between nation states as established and maintained by the instruments of national power, regional, and international relationships. This state establishes the conditional norm or default setting which left unchanged will predictably continue in the future. This is the end goal. This the steady state continues when you're dead, or it is present when you're dead. The steady state continues when you're in a psych ward. The steady state continues when you're in prison. The steady state continues when you are in that learned helplessness after some time. This is the goal. 
There are seven phases. Now we're in slide we're in slide seven, presently. And they are phase one is preparation, followed by initial contact, infiltration, organization, buildup, employment, and transition. There's a brief, there's a brief line next to each of these to describe what they are, but we're going to go ahead and dive into the details of each phase individually. So phase zero, steady state. During the steady state, the U.S. government can conduct joint or interagency activities to dissuade or deter potential adversaries, adversaries and to assure or solidify relationships with friends and allies. So this is this is the initial mobiliz this is part of the initial mobilization, sort of getting to know various regions or uh, areas where operations might take place. Uh, they also serve, this they also serves to condition the people. Because imagine that a continuance of terrorist events would sensitize the public at large to terrorists. So events like that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to carefully phrase this, it would be advantageous for those events to keep happening if you want to persuade the public at large to move towards some cause. And I'll leave that at that. Um, these activities normally proceed sometimes by years. The operations they are intended to support. So we always see a persistence of these activities uh, almost on an oscillating regular cycle. Um, one example of this might be school shootings and so forth. Um, and I'll leave that there. Special operation forces can conduct phase zero activities, so steady state activities, continuously in all operational modes, overt, low visibility, clandestine, and covert, and can include the full menu of theater cooperation engagement activities and all preparation of the environment. So to sum it up, Phase zero steady state is serves to conduct continual area, assess, area assessment, prepare the environment, identify threats, legitimize narratives supporting U.S. interests, like the example of state school shootings and perhaps maybe taking gun rights away. Um, these are sensitive topics, and uh, I wish I had a different example. But it's what comes to mind initially. Uh, building an internal external support for potential resistance movements and maintaining intelligence analyses to support assistive recovery mechanisms. So, and uh, so know essentially how to um, model the narrative. And that actually falls under a different category, the very last bullet line here. It actually falls under uh, information operations, uh, which we're not going to cover today, but I'm hoping to briefly touch on tomorrow. And we can move on to phase one if there are no questions on steady state. All right, steady state, so preparation. Preparation must begin with intelligence preparation of the environment to understand the dynamics within the populace. So in this case, uh, you have you have a target, and you want to, you need to study that target before you know before you can have any operations in that target area. 
this can take years. In my case, I can trace it back 18 years. I mean, you can trace it back more or less, but it does take quite a bit of time. The exceptions to that are when you have a whistleblower that comes out. There's some amount of information that you know is within certain databases that is full collected. They can pull up with programs like XP Score, and they have your profile in entirety, everything you've ever done, essentially. Uh, XP Store, for those of you who don't know, essentially is a Google of the various programs, uh, and we're talking about uh, Intel programs, that sort of pull from different databases and combines them into like one stream. So when you have a whistleblower or someone who's newly added and requires direct action, you don't see customized and tailored uh, uh, TI programs. You see sort of the um, very crude and sort of, I want to say textbook um, harassment techniques and so forth, uh, especially when it comes to directed energy weapons because, well, those are the little to no spread. When it comes to someone who's been watched for some time, you'll see a lot more psychological operations come to play where uh, the person's sort of confidence is diminished. Um, and they'll get a lot of um, uh, sort of insults and so forth to sort of bring them down, bring them to express their belief forward. Um, the purpose of phase one is to include a thorough analysis of the resistance forces. Sorry, preparation includes a thorough analysis of the resistance forces, strengths, weaknesses. Logistic concerns, level of training and experience, political and military agendas, factual relationships, and external political sides. They want to know everything about you. Um, and that way they can operate operate covertly, know what networks you may have that you want to break, uh, know, let's say, what your, your funds are so they can bleed you dry, and so forth. Um, their advantage, know everything they can about you. And, the surveillance, as we all know, is persistent. So at a minimum, at a minimum the target area study includes governmental services, living conditions, political, religious, economic, environmental, medical, and educational issues. Analysis and planning for transition to civil governance begins to include contingency planning for collapse of the adversary government or power and sudden victory by the resistance. So this line is really important at the end. Let's say that a, a TI decides to take their life. Or let's say a TI is, for example, is, is killed somehow. Um, and you know a couple of examples. Well, those around the CI might rally around and try to investigate the death. And what this last sentence means is that there's a plan in place in case that happens to sort of control the flow of information, control the story, and essentially exhaust whatever forces might want to look further into the issue. Um, I have a first. I want to share a personal. So my neighbor was shot in the face, but that isn't exactly murder. My, my neighbor, neighbor, like not down the street. We have no. We have we, we've had three murders in the last 15 years, and 
Maybe the woman left alone back behind my house, shot in the face. And um, I know it's not directly applicable, but I've gone ahead and I've filed several requests uh, you know, to FOIAs and right to no law requests and been blocked at every step and increasingly harassed every time I do. The investigation was pretty shady. When I got journalists involved, very suddenly there were really odd stories in the newspaper, really odd crimes happening. Some guy tried to rob a bank using a hammer at 10 p.m. at night when the bank was closed. Um, some report, and there was another report of some young girl covered in blood screaming, somebody's trying to kill me, and uh, they're from a meth lab. So absolutely ridiculous story. But if you're a reporter covering a murder investigation, and all of a sudden these stories come to come out, your attention is then shifted from what was really important to these nonsense stories, but you don't know that they're nonsense. So what I mean by contingencies is they have methods in place to distract anyone who might take an interest in finding out what really happened. So I'm going to go ahead and pause here and ask if anyone has any questions. Questions? Nope. Quiet people. Must be mid-afternoon, like, uh, exhaustion. <laughs> Phase two is initial contact. So before the U.S. government decides to render support to the resistance, it establishes contact with representatives of a resistance organization to assess the compatibility of U.S. and resistance interests and objectives. So this could be the local church or uh, some other organization. This could be uh, maybe the community where the person resides. This could even be local law enforcement and so forth. The assessment is largely a political negotiation between the U.S. government and the resistance organization. Once the U.S. government establishes compatibility, it assesses the resistance potential. So what can that force do? What can that church group do uh, to affect the target? During the initial contact, planners may arrange for the dispatch and reception of a pilot team. So they, they do phase they do initial early trials to see what they what the capabilities are and make sure there's no uh, uh, odd occurrences that could slow their cover. When possible, planners exfiltrate a resistance representatives referred to as an asset from their operational areas to brief the pilot team during its planning phase. The asset may accompany the team during infiltration into the operational area and facilitate their link up with resistance forces. Now this is an interesting statement. Because I I read this in two different ways. One, the asset is a handler and the other one is basically someone in the community to make sure that the pilot team is blending in. So there's two possibilities here, and I'm not sure which one, if not possibly both, is accurate. The, the asset could very well be trained to be a hand, because they have the most knowledge of what goes on in your town, what goes on in your block. Any questions on initial contact? Um, do you think that the local law enforcement actually told the truth about you, or do you think that they enhanced 
there are other examples that I'm trying to think of. Uh, most of the time, the people who harass you in the street have no idea what, what, they're, what they're doing, who you are. Remember, it's not, to, it's not, it's not to do the program's advantage to disseminate more information than they absolutely have to. It's not to disseminate any information at all. Does that make sense? Any questions on, uh, on initial contact, other than that one? Okay. Let's talk about infiltration. So this is phase three. During infiltration, a pilot team clandestinely infiltrates the operational area to link up with a resistance force and to conduct or confirm a feasibility assessment. If the assessment is favorable, the pilot team coordinates the infiltrate receive follow-on special force teams and supplies. So after that pilot team goes in and says, all right, guys, we're good to go in this operation, that's when all your equipment comes in. That's when your cameras come in. That's when your imaging comes in. That's when your DEs that are stationary come in uh, and so forth. So in addition, MISO personnel, so PSYOP personnel, attached to follow-on special force teams provide those teams with an early influence and information capability while developing indigenous capability. So what that means is they're developing the people around you. They're, they're, they're spreading that narrative. They're getting them ready to go through the various forms of action and harass you. As teams infiltrate the operational area and link up with the respective resistance, Force counterparts, they begin their own operational assessments to confirm or deny the assumptions of the overarching unconventional warfare campaign plan. There's a couple of ways to interpret that. So I'll just I'll see about that. Any questions on infiltration? You know, I just wanted to go back. I'm looking at my own experience. I'm wondering. Phase one, okay, I'm, I'm like probably not aware of that, correct? Right. You should be able to do that. Phase two, mm -hmm. I actually had special force people stand six to five people stand next to me at the beginning of a road race and ran the whole distance. Would they be trying to get my attention? And I mean, or or would that that normally be a phase where they would want their attention, or did they wait till they're way further into this before? So you're, throughout the entire preparation phase, you're tested. They, you have two giant guys running next to you. They want to see how you react. Are you going to be hostile? Are you going to be angry? Are you going to say something? Yeah. They need that intel in order to craft their later protocols on okay. you. So you're You think back. You they were nice. They were real nice. The guy talked to me the whole way, encouraged me on, on my run, told me I was doing great. <laughs> I was oblivious then it's until about a week later. And he has, he has often looked back for you know, 10 years and see a bunch of very odd or fortunate or random interactions that happen to them. And 
when you, when you go back and really think about it, I mean, they all seem very successful. And, um, you know, a big part of this campaign is, in fact, testing various facets of your reaction. Okay, so there's no specific phase at which they want your attention in. Very preferred. Oh, that's coming. Oh, yeah, so that's, okay. um, that's build up an, uh, build up an employment, uh, usually. That's phase uh, six, uh, five and six. Do you know how long each phase is normally? Is there a, they don't talk about that, huh? That's probably the secret. So I think it varies, uh, depending on, let's say, Let's say that the CI is a person of means, they're a multimillionaire, or they're Kanye West. Taking down Kanye West is going to take some time because he presumably, actually, that's nothing I heard he was broke. But presumably, let's say he had a lot of money, you know, he has resources available, he has a network, he has a following. So in that case, the preparation, initial contacts will go for many, many years, while at the same time trying to bleed him of his connections, money, and stuff. I don't know why he gave Kanye West for the but <laughs> You get the idea. Organization. So this is phase four. So once the US advisors link up with the resistance leadership, their objective is to determine and agree upon a plan to organize the resistance for expanded operations. In addition to physical preparations, this entails a confirmation of mutual objectives and prior agreements. So what's the, what's the objective? And there can be many. Save you of money, uh, get you out of your job, and lose your employment. Um, break you off in your relationship, maybe introduce divorce, um, cause issues with your children, and so forth. Um, and everything there on in, every action taken against you has to meet one of those objectives. So a lot of people report these random things that happen to them, and this is why earlier I mentioned that you have to stop thinking about what's actually said to you and actually think about what's the objective of every statement. Then you realize what they're going towards, and that's really beneficial because then the harassment becomes less effective. If you know that if you can minimize every single interaction, every single harassment, is just one goal, right? You, you sort of funnel that all into just one form, it's easier to commission yourself, it's easier to ignore. Because you know exactly what you're trying to do. So, phase four organization requires a period of report building, develop trust and confidence, as well as a period of discussion of expectations from both sides. Before resistance organization can successfully engage in combat operations, the leadership must organize an infrastructure that can sustain itself in combat, in combat and withstand the anticipated hostile reactions of armed forces. So these are, these are your neighbors that are, uh, next door and chatting it up uh, while leaning against our pickup truck and you know, laughing at you as, as you're pulling out your driveway and so forth. And if you were to stop and say something, or uh, they would be trained on how to react. So probably just laugh it off if you're told not to really talk to you. But those in your direct contacts, you know, have to be trained for, for such events. And they'll be told, they'll told, this is what he's likely to do. He's very likely to just come up to you and ask you what time it is. Just, you know, tell what time and go on your way or like walk away or something. Um, I do that coincidentally just to um, make the purpose nervous. So, uh, that, yeah, to engage them, yeah. yeah. So uh, during organization, the resistance leadership 
develop uh, a resistant a resistant tear as the organization nucleus for the buildup phase. So with that, I'll again ask do we have any questions on organization?
Um, and the key here is to have those who are trained to be the faces of all of your interaction points. Um, typically, when you, when you go into the next couple layers, second layer, let's say, you find people that are nervous, shaking, or actually <laughs> stare at you, and like, you don't know what to do, like deer, deer in headlights. Yeah. It, it always amuses me. But, uh, <laughs> so, um, when the organization begins to conduct operations of a wider scope across a wider area, many of these operations will draw attention from counter guerrilla forces. The organization must have a supporting, a supporting clandestine infrastructure to prepare for and sustain these operations. So they want to be very careful about not exposing what they're doing to people who may be aligned with you. So in my case, my girlfriend, she sees a lot of weird things happening. I try to explain it to her, but I, I stop talking about it because it puts a strain on our relationship. But she does observe uh, very odd things. One example, I was going, I was driving, I was driving to New York, and uh, I had to, we had to stop for uh, for gas, and I took, I got off one exit, but I, I got kind of lost. I didn't, didn't know where I was going. I ended up taking like, making a U-turn and doing something that wouldn't be expected. Typically, they have, at least in my case, they have many people at each at each exit off the highway, at the local gas station, the local stores, and so forth. But I went an unpredicted route. I come to a stoplight, and in front of me, two lanes, in front of me, seven red cars. What's, what's, the, what's the probability that you come across seven red cars queued up at a, at a red light? I look over to my girlfriend, and I ask her, so that isn't weird? <laughs> that isn't odd? And she looks at me like blank expression at her face. Um, you know, what, 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 do you, what do you say? I mean, that's just one thing that she's saying, right? Where I'm, I'm asking her to change her whole outlook on life, her whole schema of interpreting things. You know, so they have to be careful about what they expose and have plans to counter any potential exposure. The activities during the build-up are to, to grow the resistance organization, to integrate, integrate disparate resistance groups, increase recruitment so the entire community, for instance, um, intensify and advance training. They want to enhance targeting capabilities, expand operational reach and effectiveness. So, uh, for example, enhancing, uh, enhancing uh, targeting, targeting capabilities, this could be a matter of just placing uh, bird calls in your meeting <laughs> area or crickets yeah. or um, some other bizarre creature that doesn't belong in your hemisphere, uh, making sounds. <laughs> yeah, I've um, had that. <laughs> so they want to intensify the psych psychological ops messaging. They want to synchronize. Yeah, I thought that was them trying to be humorous. Well, they, they, they think it's funny. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I hesitate to tell you what my re personal reaction to any of this because it's my advantage not to give away my personal feelings to any of us, but it can be amusing at times. Um, let's just say that both sides are laughing, the insurgent and the community. Yeah. <laughs> um, so finally, uh, they want to expand logistics, uh, stock support, and sustainment. Any questions on build-up? We still have people on the phone. Are you all there? We're here. We're just listening. 
least I am. I can't speak for others, but I'm listening. Yeah, we're here. <clears throat> yep. I guess we all experience all this, so. So just just sort of we can um, put this all in perspective. Now, I started from the very top. I started talking about Homeland Defense. I started talking about Northcom, their objectives, and their lead and support role. And where, you know, somebody asked me about reverse engineering and how do I, how do I get there. Well, this is my path. And I told you that the program is unconventional warfare, and you see the correlation. So what I'm hoping for, even though I'm giving you, I'm feeding you examples, I'm hoping that you can independently make the assessment that this kind of makes sense. This kind of describes what I've like, experienced pretty well. Now, you know, make, make, make your opinion is your own. You can, you, can, you can decide to agree with me or not. I have a high degree of confidence that this is the program. Unconventional worker describes the CI program. Does anyone disagree with that so far? Do, do, we, do we at least see a high correlation? I see correlations, but yes. I agree. Okay. No offense. No, just, uh, yeah. Just for example, to, in, to involve everyone around you, get all these people involved, mm -hmm. and to keep that secret, and not one, no one, has broken their silence. To me, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. And from what I see, I a lot of people get a lot of people around them. When I go out, I do, but neighbors and things, I don't. I I know other people do. Um, so just, I see elements of the targeting, and I get that. But, uh, well, me, a lot of people know me. I'm down the human experimentation. Historically, it's happened. I think it's still happening. And, so, and I think it's well put together, very plausible. But So my question is, so let me just put out there that no one is approached that doesn't have to be approached. Uh, so if someone... For instance, I work in a laboratory and we get new students coming through all the time. Uh, my first interaction with them, they're totally normal. My second or third, not so much. I have had that. Absolutely. So but then not I, with my neighbors. So then I go back, how long have you known your neighbors? I, I've been there for six years. And it's always been friendly and so there's some more Well, there when my husband came there there was a dispute with the neighbor, but um I think it was a legitimate dispute, not a, a person. I do believe they use their land, but I don't. So with your neighbors, it works a couple of different ways. If your neighbors know, have, they have, they have a, a visual of your life, you know, whether that's just you going to work every, you know, every day or you working out in the garden, uh, they see you doing normal things that don't, always correlate with whatever narrative is being propagated. And one of the strategies that I tell those that um, I speak to is go outside, put out a fluorescent shirt, be visible, do things like sweeping through your sidewalk, you know, like grab a stop sack and take the back of the cobwebs off the outside of your house, wash your car, do things that look extraordinarily normal and ignore the harassment. They will try to get you inside your house by any means possible, whether that's, that's sounds, uh, banging and so forth, uh, cars driving by, planes and so forth. You have to fight that because they don't want others to see that you're a normal person. 
So, I mean, I get the planes and all that. I get planes, but, but mm-hmm. I'm rural, so it may be different. I don't know. So how close are your neighbors? Um, I can see two neighbors, one barely, the other, but I can't see in their houses. Um, but I can see them if they're out in the yard. So I'm like on three acres there on, you know, there's like five houses on, on a dirt road. I would imagine that, would you, say, would you think that would be the same case if you lived in an apartment complex? No. I mean, if I was from, it's everybody who lives in an apartment, I hear a very different story. But I still think it's implausible that they're all in on it. I, I believe that people may be manipulated or may be, um, but I don't think the entire world can keep a secret. I just don't. But, but do you think that they could be taken over, sort of? I mean. So they're keeping. They're keeping. All right. So let's say they say that, that John is a pedophile, and they take they they send they send kids next to John. And they snap pictures that look suspicious. And John's already on edge. He's already anxious to the program, and he has a funny look in his face. And then, you know, they go through various other, you know, show them, like, statements or investigate for this case. They show them a picture of some boy who presumably is missing or something. Well, that, that is, I mean, that's possible. If somebody, if your neighbors thought you were a pedophile, you're screwed. Because I wouldn't have much sympathy, right, for a pedophile. Exactly. Would you, would you reveal your secret? Would you tell the secret if you thought the, it was against the pedophile next door? No. No. That, that's true, but if my neighbors know me before they hear that I'm a pedophile, they might be like, no way. But I guess you never well, know. Well, you know, I, I think of Nancy as somebody that might fit in this all because he actually, her home is so close to the next home, you can overhear them when they talk. And she knows that they bought it. And their own son was so angry at them for it that they had a heated argument that he overheard. So, along the same lines, if you've read uh, Cheryl Atkinson's, Atkinson's book about um, she was a reporter yep. for, and she was harassed out of her job and out of the Obama administration, um, <laughs> people around her, her neighbors, knew her quite well, and they started her TI campaign, and they actually caused fights at the, the local curb house, and uh, because there, there were conflicts. People didn't believe the, the narrative was being spread about her, and um, she found out about this. And the CI program, I mean, I'm going to be, take this as you, as, as you wish, but I think it's a little bit more relaxed for women, even though women are more heavier targeted, it's a larger proportion of them. Yeah, I think it may be a little bit easier, um, but this is just speculative. In terms of, like, they have a larger emotional range, um, and yeah. they perhaps may be a little more sensitive to some of the tests. I mean, I've been harassed out of the job, but I, I just, I don't know. I, it's like, like the people who harass me are, it's not just no, it's veterans, it's U.S. Army, it's Purple Heart. I mean, it's, it's military people. And which makes me sad, but that's what I see. It's on their license plate. I can't miss it. So it's not um, it's not just any anybody. But, yeah. 
instead be just a training program where they're using innocent people to, to train for any overseas encounters that fall under this type of warfare. Uh, so I can't picture civilians. I mean, I, I can't picture like so they're using all age groups, demographics, and so forth. People who don't qualify to go into these battles. Uh, right, but I, I'm just wondering, in order to hide it, if they would have certain parts of the program, um, you know, sure. people driving by and whatever, to to keep you from believing that. That drone that you can't see in the sky is actually the thing. Yeah, so that goes under uh, military deception, and that's it's, it's some of the that's actually up coming up next if we can get to it and finish by five. But okay. um, some of the tactics are pretty interesting in how they go ahead and reinforce narratives and feed you false information and have you believe them. Um, yeah. Sean, well, I do not. What what are they gonna what do they want to stop me from doing gardening? You know, what's the purpose? To me the purpose is test our weapons. That's it. They take us but but I'm you know, a lot of people don't agree with that. I, I, I do agree with that. It is mm -hmm. to test the weapons, but it's also more than just that. Um, I think all the psyops it is to it is like Brian Two says, it's to invoke responses. It's to provoke me to get emotion or discredit me or what I believe there's a purpose to it. I don't believe it's although it feels like it. So is, is Paul on the line? Paul Gergen? Yeah, yeah. So, so Paul asked me, asked me the other day a really interesting question. How much of the population is perked, uh, if you will? And that's a great question. So I think a couple of years ago, the FBI was, said that their target was to have 100, uh, 100 million CIs. I saw I saw that article too, Sean. I can really look it up, but that's exactly what the article said. They're looking up to, uh, uh, and this was years ago that this was written. This was around, like, if I look about what, 2003, 2004, they were looking up to like 100 million, so like a third of the population. So the exercise serves to build up this CI force. I'd have to see that. I mean, that would be hard to well, it, I mean, to me, that's, I mean, for the perps. But to me, that sounds exactly like that. East German Stasi. Yep, I hate, I, I hate to use that. Um, I mean, that's, you know. that's why I buy into this is just a parallel to the East German Stasi. This is not parallel. It's actually worse. I yes, believe they is. use the yes, German Stasi worse. system, but I don't believe that that's the sole purpose. I mean, why? If they if if it was as people said population control, well, the population is growing, not shrinking, too, why aren't, why don't they just kill people, give, give her cancer, give him a well, heart attack, give, aren't they? I mean, they are. I mean, just, so to me, that's, that's not plausible. I almost think that some, like, most of the population death is pre-determined. I think there's a testing protocol, but as, as I sit here and they target my heart, I don't think they're trying to kill me. Uh, they might be testing the boundaries, but... The margins, I don't know, but, well, but I don't. I I know. So you guys know how I feel and think, and uh, so I'm just answering you honestly. I think it's a great presentation. I do see corollaries, but the fundamental reasons I don't get. But. And I don't think 
So the one thing that we're not told is exactly what the objectives are. And that's, that's key, and that's all, not only is that the top secret, but it's such compartmentalized information that CI is above top secret. And, and so. How would it impact the old people in the hospital who really think given the disease? I think they are. Yeah, I think you just So this, I mean, I hate to speculate on motive. Uh, earlier, I made some comments against speculation, but I think the World Health Organization put out a report of the population of you know, various countries in 2030, and for some reason the U.S. lost a third of its population in 2030. Well, um, in 2010, for the first time, the suicide rate in the United States, in every state, went up 30%. The only state that went up higher was Ohio. And it went up 40 I don't know why, but I know that you can look that statistic up. True, but that's one data point. That's just one data point, right? It's not, yeah. so you can't judge it by one but, data point. But I mean, point. How, how could all look of a sudden, at, in yeah. the year 2010, instantaneously, an increase of 30% of suicides? Well, so there's all kinds of things, right? Drugs, probably drug use. So you'd have to look at all those things to see. But then you have to check next year and the prior year. No, you know what? I've looked this up a long time ago. And Rhode Island went up 30% way before. Well, and you claim that they started experimenting there longer, sooner than anyone else. Um, their, no. their population of PIs, to me, recently has been increasing tremendously. I know as a kid it was happening. Yeah. But it may have been happening everywhere. You know one thing I don't understand is his TIs when if they spread rumors they said this person's an evil person or a pedophile or whatever to neighbors. Why do they just so readily believe it? Why not just go to the police and say, Look, why doesn't this person have a record or something? You know what I mean? Because people <laughs> well, that that's a great question, right? But they, if a, if a police officer told me that somebody had a police record, I would believe them. I would never think they would lie. I mean, now that I'm a TI, I might question it. However, I would never question that. Exactly. That's a great point. So who would say no? I, yeah. I, wouldn't you be afraid to say no? What would happen to you if you said no? Oh, I would say no. But Hello? say no. But would you have? I would have, but if someone told me someone was a pedophile, if they came to me and asked for my help, I would believe whatever they told me the reason was. And I would, if they said we think that person is uh, a drug addict or something, then I might I might want to see some evidence of that. But if they just said we tell us if we see drug activity there, maybe. Can I, can I say something, please? Yes, sure. I'm sorry. Hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad, we hear you. Oh, okay. I just want to say that that happened to me, and that they actually put a Megan's Law star over my house in Northern California, and everyone in the county thought that I was a convicted pedophile, and I was not. I have never been arrested, never been uh, even accused or questioned on such a thing. I tried to get that star removed. I wrote to the governor, I wrote to the Justice Department three times, 
I wrote to the local sheriff. They would not remove it, and I had to move away because everyone in the county hated me. No one bothered to look. It just so happened that there was a person my age, my height, lived half a mile away who was the real pedophile, but they refused to move it. And like the lady just said, you believe the police. You have no reason not to believe them. And that's just, uh, it. they wouldn't, I couldn't get UPS delivered. The FedEx wouldn't deliver to me, and the mailbox was two miles away, and they canceled my driver's license. Oh, my God. So what can I say? I haven't moved. Why wouldn't FedEx deliver to you? I mean, you're still a citizen. I don't, I don't get that. But they wouldn't do it. Uh, they well, claimed, well, the, Fed, the, the UPS guy claimed falsely that I had threatened him. I'm 82 <laughs> years old. I don't go around threatening people. And NorCal is very vicious. They burned my house down in Weaverville just out of Reading. Yeah. Wow. So, and no one questioned it because in the first place, it doesn't show on first order. You look at the map, and there's just a dot on there. You have to, you have to click on the dot to get the person, the real person, and you connect that real person with where the dot is located. And it just so happened this person was my age and my height. And my house was obscured by bushes, so the driver's bike couldn't see. I had cars stop at my home, yelling obscenities at me. What's the Megan's Law Star? I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. What now? Oh, the Megan's what? Law, that's the California law named after a little girl named Megan. Who and was, they actually uh, put something on your house? Not right on the house, on the map that shows oh. over my house. Oh, I see. Okay. All right, thank yeah. you. Well, look at um, Scott Ritter, you know, who was the chief weapons inspector in Iraq. And he wrote a book, and... The government did not like his angle of his book. So they started Mm -hmm. going after him. And they did um, paint him as a pedophile. Yes. Then they did, um, that was, uh, that was uh, that that first supposed conviction um, was washed and, um, I guess he, he had a gag order. But he did it a second time, and he actually went to prison. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And and no, that is the no. lowest life form in prison. Everyone hates him. Everyone uh, tries to kill him. Now he's out He's out back talking on uh, the talk circuit about the election. Yeah. Well, I think that's what most, when I've talked to Sean, too, most innocent male TIs, what they try to do is they try to paint them as a pedophile because they figure people will hate them the most and be most afraid right off the bat. So, yeah. Right. Just a fewer parents. Yeah. And I've even, I've even talked to uh, lady TIs who had been branded that as pedophiles. And, hmm. uh, I mean, you look at the list of sex offenders online and there'll be like 500 men and one woman and the woman right. is probably, you know, it's, it's, the ratio is outrageously uh, all-male, and yet they're accusing uh, females, uh, t- targeted individuals, as being pedophiles, which is preposterous. You know, but imagery is very important here. So, you know, I've had, I've had children just decide to walk up next to me and walk with me, uh, or with, with a 
had like a scared face on, you know, on their expression. I've had weird, creepy-looking vans just pull up next to me if I'm standing somewhere and just stop. You know, someone's taking a picture from a certain angle. It looks a little weird, right? And I get all sorts of these interactions where I know it's, it's a Kodak moment, essentially, for them, where they can add to their portfolio. So the optics have a really big role to play here. And if, let's say, you lose a few pounds, they want to update the portfolio so it matches your actual look uh, wow. accurately. So they'll go ahead and they'll go do some of these tactics. So, you know, I recently I lost 10 pounds, and all of a sudden I got sort of days and days of, like, all of these different operations where I knew they were taking pictures. So I get kids all the time who, like, as I'm, as I'm driving, I'll run away from my car, and, you know, it might look like you're taking a picture from the, from the opposite end that I possibly tried to talk to kids and scare them, run away and so forth. Um, so, yeah, the optics are huge in this case. Um, my question from Simon who talked about the Megan Star is, did you ever meet, did you ever meet the, or see the other guy? Sounds like it. Is everybody else still there? I'm here. We're Ed. here. I think Ed must have hung up. He, he, you know, he's busy with his, his wife. All right. So if we, um, I'll just continue the last last two phases, and um, you know, if you want to stay on, we'll talk talk about some uh, the deception tactics, uh, or we can end and I can try to condense it tomorrow. But um, so we have. Phase six, employment. Through employment, the resistance force initiates an expanded scope of offensive operations to achieve desired effect. So this is the direct engagement. This is this is us right now. Employment. So the desired effect generation causing the enemy to commit limited resources away from ending invasion area or to a pending invasion area, um, and so forth. So this is where they try to bleed to drive your money. They, they, they cause induced paranoia. They, they uh, enforce false narratives. So you think it's something else happening. You try to protect yourself. You buy new locks for your house. You buy a security system, and so forth. Um, this, is, this is where this is probably the most fun for them, essentially, where they actually have you interact and know that you're interacting with them, with the program. And finally, we have transition. So special operations forces may conduct unconventional warfare until they assist the resistance in removing the hostile power and the indigenous population becomes the government. This point is critical to shift mindsets from defeating the adversary to protecting the newly installed government and its security personnel from insurgency. Lawlessness and subversion by former regime elements that attempt to organize their own resistance. Applied to us, it means what I mentioned earlier, where they want to make sure that if the narrative is that you died in a car accident, you were hit by a truck that that was purely accidental. And I want to enforce that and make sure that all those around the CI believe that story and there's no loose ends all up on. 
Hunter should have addressed transition planning and the feasibility assessment to form the basis of the determination to support the organization. This is where they try to protect everyone who was involved and make sure that the, there's some sort of stability. Uh, now, what, what I'm not sure about is if, if they are successful and they terminate the TI or TI terminates themselves, um, do the perps all move out right away? So, or do they stay, are they required to stay in town to keep the optics of everything being normal? You know, I don't think anyone, anyone's ever talked about that. What, what happens directly after? You know, after? Does the town become vacant if you have a lot of perp houses? Uh, so I believe that part of, part of the transition planning involves maybe like a slow move out and um, the escalation, if you will, of all the equipment and so forth. I was thinking that like when they're across the street, and one day they moved out, it was really that was the end of the heavy assault. One day they, they had the cars on the side that had grown in like years two or whatever. And I guess the owner was going to move back in. And I saw a woman, a police officer woman on a bike talking to the kid who was living there. And he was all upset. I had a window open and I took care of him. If I had thought that he would still be here after all this, I never would have had two people move in here. And I can hear them arguing. She says, well, it is what it is. And they started working on the cars, jumping them, and got them going, and then moved this stuff out. And drove away. And it, it, you know, the B2K took that off. It was very odd. That is expensive. Same part. I came home one day and I sat out in the yard with my dog and I could feel it. They were gone. It was so beautiful. And an hour later. <laughs> so the last slide here just talks about the protocol and the different retentions among the offices and how it has to be classified uh, from release. So everyone has their own protocol. Uh, release, transfer, and export of special operation tactics, techniques, and procedures uh, is classified military information. Information is governed by U.S. law. The Office of Primary Responsibility for, convention, for Unconventional Warfare is U.S. SOCOM. Uh, and release of information regarding the tactics, techniques, and procedures and doctrines of special operations associated with the conduct of unconventional warfare is prohibited without the consent of the organization conducting the operation, U.S. SOCOM. So they are their own, the, the watchers have no watchers, they monitor themselves. There's no accountability. Um, and that's my last slide. Are there any questions on unconventional warfare? Uh, keeping in mind that there's now, we haven't talked about PSYOP specifically. We haven't uh, dived into deception, to interdiction, joint urban operations, and all the sort of fields that fall within unconventional warfare, or more generally, the or, or even like personal stories you might want to share or are curious or have questions about. Um, I can take those now. I have a question about. How big of a part do you feel that psychiatrists and psychologists play in the whole hospital? 
I believe that there are certain psychologists that are instructed to make a diagnosis, and you may be sent or referred to a psychologist. Um, give me an example. So I was in Pennsylvania. There's there's something called a 302, which means you are forced for psychological evaluation. This happened to me last year. But a week before that, I had read about this program. So I figured out what the hell was happening to me. This is my transition to becoming aware. And I started to tell my roommate, you seen cars out there? I'm being followed. Uh, I went out and bought some guns, right? Uh, and that concerned him enough to go file a report. And they don't need very much, right, to push that paperwork through. Yeah. They evaluated me. They decided to keep me for further evaluation. Ended up releasing me with saying, uh, there's no mental deficit, no mental illness, you know, he's fine. Uh, still not allowed to get guns, and so I couldn't feel that. But anyway, the doctor that they referred me to, um, the psychiatrist for follow-up, wasn't my own doctor, wasn't my own uh, drink, if you will. It was one of their own. And I decided, there's no way I'm going to show up. I, I just expected there was something really fishy. So... I, it was evident that I wasn't going to make the apartment after being called to cancel. I'm driving home. There's a dead snake in my driveway, but not a dead snake that's native to Pennsylvania, <laughs> like the one that's native to Petco or PetSmart. Uh, essentially, you know, clearly I understood what the dangers were of seeing so psychic. What did it look like? Uh, it was a ball python. Yeah, in Pennsylvania. So the big rack was in my driveway in my space and uh, put it in a four-foot barrel and it was like an inch of the top. You know, so it was like five feet long. Personally, every time I every time I wiggle out of a really tricky situation, I get this snake. And whenever I do something that's really clever or put them in a defensive position, I get the uh, the, the trucks that uh, uh, from the company Swift. So, like, they send those all the time. Swift. Or, or I get smart cars. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I get those, too. Yeah. What's a smart, smart car? Oh, uh, up cars. They're, like, they sit around your body, and that's about it. So, like, little two-seater cars. They're, they're, they're from Europe. I, I see those things, Dad, but I don't see one. I don't get them. Does that mean that's <laughs> 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 You have to be sort of very clever and, like, you know, sort of proactively approach things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I do get. I have had six. Um, so yeah, so they do communicate um, <laughs> in various forms. And mm-hmm. normally, I don't see. I usually don't see any of those things. You know, you don't have a bubble around you. Everything around you is usually controlled. Um, but most of the time, when I'm just being low key, I don't see any of that. But when I do something, Joe came with his dog. You know, the city dog guy. Was a woman with a pad breaking everything down. <laughs> well, I obviously from social services. So he's like, it's harmless, and he picks it off like a doula. You know, this big, multi red, black, yellow, red, black, yellow, you know. Wait, red against snake. <laughs> and so it was very colorful, you know. And so it looked like a coral, but it was a king. Well, it's something that's out in Pennsylvania, some point. 
house. We we only have three snakes: the uh, timber rattler, the rattler, and uh, copperhead. Copperhead. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And so I so I said, look, here it is in the book. And she said, oh, it does look like that snake. And her whole attitude. And then the, then the dog officer said, well, don't be surprised if he ends up back there. <laughs> and I said, well, I hope it really doesn't happen because I don't have to sell it. Because I can't have a big, giant snake in my, <laughs> in my driveway, you know? And I never started. But yeah, why come to mind? You know, they don't want the water, they eat rats, rats, maybe, but. You know, why I'm in a neighborhood. Now, I've got a lot of stones I always forget. I don't have. But, um, no reason. Hmm. Any more questions? Any, any got, anybody there need to ask hmm. a question or make a comment? I just wanted to say uh, Sean gave me some hints, which I appreciate, because I go out and probably a lot of other TIs. I get it from neighbors and whatever I go out in public. A whole lot of coughing and sneezing and things of that nature, and just uh, to put the earplugs in, and uh, you know that can help a lot. If anybody else gets that, yeah, I think we pretty much. He said um, gets a lot of coughing, sneezing, key jingling, uh, sniffling. I pretty much think we all get that. I get a lot of it. I don't notice, I don't notice it. it as much either. Yeah, my um, friend gets it. Uh, I notice uh, that that like everyone in the Boston area tells me they get a lot of that. It's an easy thing to do. The whistling, the coughing, yeah. yeah. No, I do get, like, the bird call. You know, noise can be yeah. that, but I don't, but I'm rural again, so it's just. Yeah, I'm one of those people that tend to think maybe, like, half of that is just mind control technology interfacing with people around us. That's just my own personal beliefs. Um, so, on that, uh, I don't necessarily agree. But what they do do quite often, and I picked up on this, is they'll they'll hit people around you with the ease to your throat, so then they cough, or they'll hit them with like a uh, the, the itch or like a little burn. Uh, yes, they, yes. They go ahead and scratch their head, and you think they're perked. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, exactly. Your friends that you know aren't perked, don't do that to them, and then you you start to doubt them. Okay. So I, I I I'm not following you on the whole mind control of them. But I do believe that that's one of the big tactics yeah. that, they, that they do. Actually, have we, yeah. Well, I don't want to get off topic, but like with my children, they can come in and say things about conversations I've had earlier, and they'll come in. They all go to different, you know, they all go to different schools, and they'll all come in and say the same thing that I was talking about. Yeah. Or they all come in from various places and locations, like my husband. Even you know, they all come home at different times, and they're not talking to the day, and they're singing the same kind of obscure song. You know, so I, you know, and there's no proof of that. that but this, but the coincidences are just uncanny. You know, it's pretty yeah. unbelievable. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of information of my experiences. Well, that, that's subliminal, right? Um, no. Oh, yeah. I can tell you that works. So my girlfriend's a special ed teacher, uh, works at elementary uh, school, and the kids will say things that really are sort of relate to me, relate to me, things I've done in the last couple of days. So, like, they'll tell her something or they'll, you know, do some action and repetitively, and, like, they won't get off that. Now, granted, she deals with students who have IEPs, 
So they're either really brilliant, sort of can't integrate really well, or they're on the, on the other side where they need a lot of assistance. But those kids are probably the easiest to manipulate. And I can see yes. parents sort of feeding them uh, information and the children propagating the, you know, those things. And then my girlfriend, Kate, my, my, well, I shouldn't call her Kate because <laughs> my, my, my girlfriend, she'll come home and she'll like, so Charlie did this today. And it's gonna be a, you know, it would be something that caught her attention that's worth sharing. But clearly, if street theater performed perform for her, that it's going to get back to me. Now, the, the, the flip side of that is the one thing that, no, that I see almost nothing about, and that's called uh, information operations. So this is the customization of all of your channels, all of your inputs that you get. So everything that you interact with, whether it's the radio, whether it's TV, um, whether it's the newspaper, that's called the channel. And that's, this is all listed out in the, in the next presentation, which we probably won't have time to get to, but, uh, which is deception. And all of those channels are manipulated in order to convey information. Whatever the, whatever the PSYOP is meant to do, information uh, operations, sort of that media manipulation, uh, it has a purpose. So think of the scenario where you have a child, well, maybe his iPad you know, might have some sort of weird commercial or weird recommendation. Uh, maybe the TV uh, channel he's watching, uh, they'll put some commercials that might, you know, instill an idea in the kid's head. Or, um, you know, maybe some other kid will come up to him and say something that's pertinent and he'll get the idea and run with it. So there's a lot of different ways that information operations work. And I haven't, I, I don't have an entire understanding of all the intricacies of information. It's one of the chapters I need to get to. Uh, I do know the basics. I do know that I get customized media. My, the NPR is, <laughs> is, is, is pretty much Sean's PR. Like, it's, it's tailored. Every, every story, and this is not me being paranoid, uh, I'll watch the TV, uh, I'll watch the TV, and, like, it seems like the, the commercials, it shouldn't be targeted towards me. Like, I'll put Lifetime on, and also now see commercials that have a lot of sort of uh, correlation to my life, when I wouldn't expect that me to be a target audience of Lifetime channel. And it'll happen within a couple minutes. So you'll see normal commercials at first, yeah. and then you'll get the customized. Uh, it, it's really, it's, it's incredible. You but, know, I don't get that, but, you know, back to Ella's example, she... So you were saying that the children, right, that they'll come up, or you're, you're saying, you said that the parents may influence the children. But why would the parents? Are the parents influenced, or you're saying the parents are influenced? Parents are perfect. So I went into uh, a martial arts school to get information. The next day, uh, my girlfriend, one of my girlfriend's kids um, at the school is wearing the same a hoodie from that martial arts um, facility is brand new. And um, she happened to take a picture for some reason, posted a picture, and I'm like, what, what's he wearing? Is that from the place down the street, the martial arts? She's like, yeah, he was wearing that today. I don't know why. Interesting. What, what am I going to say? Like, anything I say to her mm -hmm. at that point is going to sound super paranoid. Well, no, you don't think that type of vigilance? On your yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> All the time. I know, but my TIs were relatively. Yeah. Uh, all mm -hmm. yeah. So, so I will, I will, I will give you 
So the, the, the way the human brain works is, you know, you find patterns. It, it, it's yeah. a survival mechanism. So, yes. But I also look at the flip side. I, look at, I, I analyze almost every input that I have, and I look at what doesn't match up. How do they modify the, the commercial to the TV real time? Like, how could they even? It's just Comcast. It's a matter of, you know, sliding in the commercial in there, and it's built the time spot in between. It's still making money. Uh, I've had, I've had, I've had like my recordings on my Comcast DVR disappear or change, and I'll come back later. Um, during during a, a football game, um, let's say I'll be watching my girlfriend she goes walk the dog third period. And she walks up the door, and the TV goes blank. Or says we're having difficulties. About five seconds before she walks back in, it comes back in. My girlfriend be asking, what, what happened? The squirrel, up, well, of course, that changed. Okay, but that's easy to verify, right? You just record it, and someone else with the same, uh, you know, whoever, charter, whoever you use, mm-hmm. records it. Now, if you guys get different information, then, yeah, that's proof. Then that's, that's proof. Yeah, yeah. But, but so, if you don't so you get good information. you need to find somebody that could do that. You said monocular phrases, right? So is it likely that they really make a program just for you? I mean, see, you're not the first guy to tell me this. But they are usually in a state of being overwhelmed by this. And now they're hypervigilant about it. They're making connections. Like you say, we make patterns. They make more patterns than we would normally. What I say. It's either that or we get so hyper alert that we're seeing things that we didn't notice before that were just pure coincidence. But, um, I mean, what I started doing was when I saw these coincidences happening over and over, I go, oh, they just want me to believe that. They just want me to believe that that's another thing, and I'm not going to believe it. Well, I remember I, being hypervigilant. Yeah, I remember really being freaked by this. No, it took a while. To there was something about, uh, what was it? Um, Keep in mind that, that uh, military affairs showed a conflict. Uh, says controlling the population. So they are doing a lot of stuff with them. So that's, this part of the TI program was the hardest one for me to get over. Because how can the media just harass me? Like, that's ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. How can a radio be making fun of you? You think I'm crazy? You, you th- all of you in the room think I'm crazy right now. But with I'm for 22 years of it, but so I've seen this so many times over, and you guys always knew. But if they influenced your thoughts, you, let's say that you both saw the same thing, same you know channel and everything. But if they influenced your thoughts before you got the commercial came on, and I'm not saying that's what's happening. Well. Somebody else, and I can't remember who it was, gave me the information that they control your cable box to the point that they can insert things like that. He said, so that it overrides the other program. So what Carl is saying is if you did have two people recording the same information, that could prove out that, in fact, they are able to override the, the regular programming to put something in there like that. I agree, but you also have to expect it. And I can tell you that it's, when they do a tactic, you, just, you don't repeat it because they know that I may have counter moves ready for it. So usually if there's a long wait time. And it happens again. Sometimes they recycle a technique um, or even yeah. if they try it again. So I'm not going to sit there with, you know, waste my time trying to catch them. 
if I have an opportunity to document, I will stick it as long as it's straightforward. Um, but I'm not going to you know, sit there with you know, like a shotgun pump and just be waiting for the next opportunity if I'm walking the door. I just met a for like. No, but you just have it, you record it for a week or something, and then if it happens, yeah. then yeah. you've got it. But you don't sit there. Hello, good day, and day and good evening. Well, I'm not saying it changes you, know, Joe. Yeah. It doesn't change for just me. I'm saying it changes for everyone mm-hmm. you know, in, keep, in that region. You've got to keep in mind that there are different stages we go through. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, we all got to admit, yeah. we were in a very hyper-visual And I think that they can afford to spend that kind of time on somebody for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And yes. then, once they've done that, you are still looking for it for a long, long time. And be honest, though, your energy as a new CI and researching everything like this, I, I mentioned earlier, the thing, that is also constant. And when I see yeah. a new person researching, I say, good, because good chance they'll think something up. Because they stop looking and they will not stop because yeah. they know something's going on. I'll just follow it up with saying, when I talk about, now, now I'm going to make this a priority. When I, talk about, <laughs> yeah, all right. when I talk about information operations tomorrow, I, I think I'll be able to persuade you that this actually happens. Uh, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, uh, you know, I don't know about mind control, but uh, people who've had it, like so someone who's been a CI for 30 years, he's brilliant. He really is. And, um, no, he is certain... I mean, because one, right, they could read your subvocals, right, ahead of actually, you know, words or something coming out. Words could be replaced that quickly. But anyway, he is convinced that there is mind control and that they they influence the thoughts of those around you more than you Mm -hmm. yourself. If, for example, the boy who wore the hoodie, they could have influenced his parents to take it or him to tell his parents who wanted the hoodie. You know what I mean? So... It actually, I can't believe I'm saying it, but it actually sounds more plausible to me than his parents being hurt and buying him the hoodie and flying to it. But so I, I, will, I will agree with you there because in that case, very far removed from me. Um, so it could be that someone, actually, this is like, so, so what I'm saying here is they would have to tell the parents that now, your son's school teacher's boyfriend is something atrocious, right? So the other alternative is that just occurred to me. Someone could, you know, a friend of the family who is perfect could walk up and be like, oh, I got this. Uh, I saw this hoodie or, you know, it was like discounted, and they give it to the kid. And like, what does he do? He wears it the next day. So like with those children, I mean, one of the chances they all get the same song they haven't seen each other. They've come home from different schools or whatever, and they come in, and they've all got – so unless somebody – they ran into someone, and they happen to be playing that song for all three of them, and maybe even her husband. Uh, I mean, it's interesting well, how it could be you accomplished. Well, that's what brings um, – Jeff is brought to mind. He's not on the call right now, but because he's so heavy, he's heavily targeted, and he's got, um, to me, one of – he was—he is one of the most targeted people I know. And when they first introduced this to him, they announced, "Yes, this is technology. We're going to tell you all about it." 
And then within a very short period of time, they told them subliminal is their number one weapon. I believe that. There was a kid I was talking to called me and, and died straight with BTK, and he's telling about Dr. James C. Lynn, um, which is the thing called brain cancer. Because I just knew that. They said, James C. Lynn, before you said, can they do that? I said, absolutely. They can read my train of thought. No, James C. Lynn's coming up. Computer is between you and I. They said, you subliminal. You just heard it, and I just said it. Have you had people call you? I remember, I think, a new theater about a week. I was standing in the kitchen one day. I saw the theater, and the phone rang right away. And I was wondering, did they even tell him what I was thinking? Uh, oh, I can, I can. It does happen. I mean, I go to the bathroom, and the phone moves. So everybody calls me when I go to the bathroom. <laughs> and it, it's a game they play. And because it's like, oh, shit. You know. But here's here's a question like on Alice children. Did they send subliminals to their brain or or did they all get on a phone and call mom and somehow subliminal was played over the phone or you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Or, 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 or just had people passing each child by humming that song yeah. so they came in the door with it. But, because but, it was a catchy tune maybe? Let's, let's define, let's stop for here for a second. Let's define subliminal. What, what do you consider subliminal? A voice that talks to me like an I'll undertone? No. I'll tell you. Subliminal is above or below your speech. It is spoken much quicker than we They can leave out many words only to borrow the sentence, right? It bypasses your consciousness. It is your unconscious mind. So you have no self-defense. That it, and it appears as your own thought. Now, I, I can recognize that I've been around in a long time. And so all of a sudden, I'll get a thought that is insane, like, like, hit the cat. I remember when one was first. The first thing I ever got was subliminal and they, I was having thoughts that weren't mine. I could tell I wouldn't think that. But I was getting a thought, hit my cat. No, I won't hit my cat. I love my cat. And I'm thinking, like, hit the cat. No, no, I won't hit my and it's common as my thought. But did it come to your mind, or was it on the TV, or on your phone? Was it right, right there? That's exactly. Where does subliminal stop? Why can't subliminal be overt and something you hear on the radio, something you watch yeah, on TV? Yeah, it's the same as V2K. I'm getting V2K. So you know what that? No, you well, know what the definition of V2K that's is. That's true. Listen. Yes. The definition of V2K is is use a big cough. They say use a microwave. You know, postmodulated microwave to a mammal, which means not just you, it could be any animal out there. Yeah. Uh, and it would be the word or subliminal. And, and all it has to do is be above your conscious mind, range of hearing, or below. And it, and and I and I've read all about it. I mean, yeah. there's one thing where they do all these words. The first letter and the last letter are the same, and all the words in the middle are mixed up. And you can read it like it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Every word is mixed up. But it shows, this, this was a Russian who wrote this, showing how the mind works. We, we look at a word almost as a pigeon. If the first and last letters are right, and the letters are all right in the middle, but they're all mixed up, we see that as, as a word very easily. He's right. If they can deliver B2K auditory, I believe they can deliver uh, 
subliminal in the same manner. And for example, with me, there's actually an implant in my ear, and I get noise all the time, and it's clearly in my being delivered to my ear because, you know, if I cut my ear, it's louder, and um, and I can also put in a, you know, a. I had a real obvious one in 1992. I was building a house and finding out that I had Lyme disease, and a thought came into my head that said, why don't you take that pair of scissors and stick it in your heart? And I knew it wasn't my thought. And I just said, I don't know how this is being done. It wasn't an out loud V2K. It was a thought, but it didn't fit. Actually, in some of the books that you can read, um, and I don't know how much documentation can back it up, the way before they do V2K, apparently, um, according to Duncan and Hall and some other books I've been reading and Renee Pittman, um, that the way they entrain your brain or the way that we our brain will accept um, uh, uh, the mapping, the, the, you know, is by subliminal. So your brain is receptive. Your brain is open and trusting because you think the thoughts are your own. And that's a way that they can entrain your brain initially before, you know, and that's a, it's a good way to, yeah, to get into the brain because you think it's your own thought, you know, and that, that was a really interesting theory, so... That's a good Very subtle. They make the your original the original thoughts supposedly that they deliver to you are like your own thoughts. Therefore, yeah, and so your brain's open. They're not fighting yeah. the thought. You're just thinking it's you. You know. Yeah. And eventually, yeah, they can evolve the thoughts. But yeah, like Ella said. And they're mapping your brain in the process, and and um, you know, basically, you know, getting into all your hard drive, so to speak. You know. That's it. Yeah. There's a lady who does contact reflex analysis, which is uh, your your subconscious mind. It's called muscle testing. And she said, watch your thoughts, because by muscle testing, she found 99% of the thoughts were not her own. Wow. Yeah. What's muscle testing? Yeah. Well, put it this way. When I, when I was dying and didn't know I had Lyme disease, I couldn't eat. And my heart started racing, and my breath smelled like ether because I was starving to death. And so I went to somebody who did it, and all he had me do was hold my arm out horizontally. And he said, I'm going to touch different organs on your body on the outside of your skin, and then I'll push down on your arm, and you resist. And when he got to my adrenal glands, my arm fell down with no strength. So it's like your electrical circuits or your meridians. And it's a way that your body can tell you what was going on. And he was right, because I I took standard process labs, Drenamin, to rebuild my adrenals, and and it saved my life. I mean, in a matter of a half hour, I was like a flower that just got water. You're going to have to dwell on this. Um, Take a while. You know, this next, the mind control portion of this is, is, I know it's going to be an uphill battle for me. Um, I I have a lot of research to indicate, compelling research, even ones that indicate what the current state of the art is when it comes to mind control. Or, I call it, I hate to use the word mind control, 
because it, can, it, it implies that you have no control of your ability to control your thoughts and so forth. I, that's not true. Um, I would say it's more like mind coercion. Um, that's what the rest there actually is a chapter in the, one of the manuals called Influence Operations. Well, look at, look at, I mean, just anything in general, somebody's pushing an agenda. If you look back through history, right, um, I mean, the very first time we heard of the name Martin Luther King, for example, and he started talking about black press. Now, first time somebody hears that, they may think about it for a minute, you know, but they don't get emotionally connected to it unless they keep hearing it, hearing it, hearing it. In any movement in this country, it just takes a great deal of repetition. The repetition is what makes something feel concrete to us, and then we buy into it. You know, if, if you do get that grasp of right? Then when that person said something that boots you in the store, they weren't necessarily a perp and they're on a million of mountains. These are people getting some blown And they get they they get them to do things. Mm -hmm. So the person being targeted thinks that yeah. all these people are involved, the names of rude, they're getting some blown I got another example and Jeff told me this one too. That they said some get an appointment with a guy about his car and they said, Watch this, Jeff. This guy, we're going to make this guy really pissed off at him. Now, he's n never even met him, but he greeted him with incredible words. And um, they he, were he laughing. He people quote you can say that a lot of bullshit. No, I'm, I'm not 100% about my people either, because I do believe that uh, when they read our thoughts, are they reading our subliminal? I mean, sorry, our yeah, subliminal, right. yeah. or are they reading our thoughts? No, Me, your brain is too complicated to read everything in it. They're reading your subliminal. And to be honest, with, with lasers, yeah. he said, you know, uh, Ed said earlier, lasers are a great detector on your window. Yeah. Well, I, I'm reading signal technology to you. Yeah. Right, exactly. Two okay. people out in the field, one questioning the other. One is receiving B2K via a laser. The other one is getting subliminal, so as he's asked these questions, it's prodding him to the answers they want. And this is how they were interrogating a guy in the field. Trials said the same thing, that yeah. they use lasers to read their subvocal. But people who get B2K can test it. If they cannot subvocalize and have a thought, if I it's got an idea. Right. How about if we wear a mirror all the <laughs> way around our neck? <laughs> yeah, as long as it's not an implant. <laughs> but I'll keep do in it. mind, the neural dust in yeah. remote neural monitoring, then they don't need a laser, clearly, you know? So tomorrow, when I talk about behavioral prediction, I'm going to talk about what SARS is doing right now and what they have done for the last couple of years. It involves um, the Google of you, and I've mentioned this a couple of you already. So you fit, there's this giant, as I was just talking about, there's this giant preparation phase, which be 10 years to be, 15 to be more, where they're just gathering intel. Well, that intel includes your habits, what you say after you do a certain action, your body posture, every single micro expression on your face, your voice, intonation, 
uh, the amount of respiration you might have. This is it's called persistent surveillance. Persistent surveillance, not just listen to what you're saying, it's to monitor every sort of visible view that you might have. And that goes yep. to the computer. So then when, when it, it's all an algorithm. So when you do make a certain microexpression, you do a certain action, or you do a certain action, you go to a certain part of your house, you can pull up what were the last 10 things that happened when he did that exact thing, or he had that exact microexpression, or after he ate that Doritos chip. And then you can play off of that and have different creatures and scenarios that you're immediately going to see a correlation to and be like, they can read my mind. And that is the core of where the uh, behavior prediction comes in, and, and later on, behavior modification. Now, I'll show you those programs. I'll show you the, I'll show you the details. I'll show you the, the proposal calls. Um, it's amazing. Okay, but then I would have to tell you about another DARPA proposal to build uh, brain neuroprosthetic or implant, whatever you want to call it, less than one centimeter. And its purpose is to read from a million neurons, stimulate what I call right to 100,000 neurons, and the third phase is to place something into 1,000 neurons and get back exactly what was played into the, the neurons. And do you know what the example is? Their example in quotes, is an MP3. So in other words, they're going to play an MP3 to prove this. They're going to play an MP3 through the implant, and they want to get read back out that same information. Now that is goes a, a lot a lot further than modeling. Of course, it requires an implant. So um, anyway, I just no, that's it's interesting. And I guess, I, no, 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 I, I believe you, and I can see, I can visualize how that could be possible uh, because the brain is, it's, really, it's, it's plastic, as they call it, it's plasticity, yeah, it's the ability plastic. to grow, and perhaps, perhaps, you can build some sort of feedback loop like that. Mm -hmm. Or, with... We, we have these uh, arrays, right, neuron arrays that is actually attached to physical neurons. Supposedly we're, we're only at about 100 or so, but they literally attach to a neuron. For example, someone that I know was tested, and they have neural dust. And the neural dust is a subdural transceiver. Plus, uh, the way it was originally designed, they laid over, the way UC Berkeley did it, they overlaid an array of electrodes over the cortex, and yeah. there's also an external transceiver, but it can be under the skin. That's UC Berkeley. And uh, that is literally reading, well, they, it, the way what it's written, and one thing is they're reading the evoked potentials, or they're reading. Um, Those that sound with ultrasound will transduce the sensibility to not only read the brain, but to send light to activate your mind, control the brain. And I found not well, by cloud genetic. Yes, optogenetic. I found an article. They don't have to. What? They don't have to. No, they don't have to do that. Yeah. But it gives them the ability. You know, and I thought this myself. I know, you know, so I kept looking and looking. Finally, I found Prof that wrote that America will be able to control like the robot. 
And, and that's just one type of transducer, right? So that converts electrical to mechanical. It's a with a CMOS. AKA ultrasound yeah. vice versa, yeah. But it's 10,000 of them in the brain. They can code your brain like you do with some That's it. I mean, um, in looking under my microscope and researching quantum dots as transceivers and semiconductors, they put fluorescent markers on them. And this is what I'm finding under my microscope is, and it's in a variety of shapes as it states, very bright, beautiful fluorescent yellows with rich violet-purple perimeters around the shape. Well, you know, I found another article about a woman who created this fluorescent material, that bioluminescence, and she altered the DNA to get the right frequency to inhibit neurons from firing because... If you're going to control a brain, you need to stop the person from fighting. So you need to be able to stop neurons from firing. And what she was using at for the time was do Parkinson's, people with Parkinson's have twitches and stuff like that, and the, and the neurons are firing, they shouldn't, and they inject that into the brain to stop them. Like, wow. Like to make a neuron fire. They can use light to stop them from fire. It's optogenetic. You know. Tom, you're going to have your hands on the implants, but I won't be here to argue. John's <laughs> just looking depressed. <laughs> well, this this is why I've been encouraging people to do the ion detox foot bath because uh, Harold Kotzvela's later interviews are are saying that. We're being demyelinated, and then we're being our, our bodies are being tricked to remyelinate with strontium and barium. And Skizit was blessed with a couple of hundred dollars in nanotechnology research books, and I've been going through the, those as I can on particular topics of what's in the chemtrails, what's in the nanotechnology, particularly the the carbon nanotubes, and can we eliminate these heavy metals using, you know, basically an electroplating process? So then it goes on into finding somebody in metallurgy um, or microbiology in metallurgy that would be able to take the samples that I'm gathering and putting on a slide uh, to verify if if we are pulling out strontium and barium. And basically disassemble the nanotechnology that's self-assembling. And the last, the last problem I want to throw out there, and then I'll shut up, is uh, anybody getting any information on the polymer coatings that are being put on those? The polymer coatings are protecting them from external magnetic fields. So it appears, as Peter's saying, of basically installing a secondary frequency responsive neurological system that could be controlled externally. To find out what those metals are, Neil, they use spectrum analysis. But they also use like polyacrylamide and things like that, hydrogel. Right? Well, the point of spectrum analysis shows the spectrum of all the elements. Very good. Very good. Well, I'll go pick up a spectrometer next. I need some funding. <laughs> no, I was testing so that's one of the chemicals that was in my toxicology. What was, strontium? Polyacrylamide. Oh, really? 
Yeah, and you can go to inspirednutrition.com, and there's a product called Biofibrin and Monolaurin. And it's uh, an in-depth research. I actually contacted them a few years back because I said it's about time that somebody would break up the the biofilms and the fibrin. Um, I don't know if it, if it would be of a help, but if you're in a position where you could get retested and you could you know just go take a look at the science behind it and see if it resonates with you. And if it does, give it a run and then get retested. Yeah, and I have been retested, and, and uh, the level reduced, but, yeah, the, and then there are other things, carbon nanotubes and all that, you know, it's kind of disconcerting to find that in your body. Well, it is, and I'm at a point where I'm going to go for the live blood analysis certification just to get the validity of somebody professional enough to be taken seriously because it appears you have to have some kind of a label but really headed off in this direction of being able to recognize nanotechnology in body fluid samples and then purge them and then do after tests to confirm and then even send off to labs to get a double confirmation that we are eliminating them, hopefully faster than they can be put in or self-assemble. I really see this as more of a threat than any physical level implant that you could dig out with a pocket knife. Yeah. But then it's hard to prove how we got it. Well, some of us have surgery scars. No, I know. I'm saying it it, it is something hard to prove. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And with nanotechnology now, I mean, even, gosh, it was an 80th, the width of it, of a. 80th of a hair, and now it's like, oh my gosh, it's so much minuscule. They won't be, we'll never uh, be able to prove it. Yeah, it's small stuff. I see a lot of things in my different samples at 2400 magnification that are still too small to get any kind of an identity on. You use oil? Yeah, I use oil, dark field immersion. Is that what you mean? Yeah. You, yeah. you guys see um, um, Ed's um, coagulated blood that's uh, as bad as, as magnets are worse. Wow. Ed, are you oh, on the call? Oh, yeah. Who, Ed? Ed? Ed, are you on the call? I'm here. Yeah, I, I was just reminding them of the image of your blood. I, I oh, it must be a different Ed. Oh, oh the, the picture of blood. Yes, that was mine, absolutely. And that came about, I'll tell you how that came about. That's a pie pan, and there's a lot of blood there. I was, uh, two years ago, I was uh, volunteered as a expert witness to serve at the Kathleen Watterson trial in Yucca, California. I got uh, two death threats, and uh, I, I called uh, Derek, and I said, Derek, my wife has uh, dementia. I just really can't risk it. I can't. I can't uh, go down with these death threats. And it was a 600-mile drive. Uh, and so, it, but but even so, uh, two days before the trial started, I uh, I contacted massive bleeding. I went to the hospital. It was urinal bleeding. I went to the hospital. They couldn't stop it. They took me to a bigger hospital, and I'm in extreme pain now because the blood clots are forming, and I can't pass urine. 
And I'm going like, uh, well, you know, like two liters of urine in there, whether the guy can't get out. Wow. And uh, so uh, that is pain, believe me. Uh, I was going in and out of consciousness all the way down. And when I got to the hospital, uh, they pushed, put me into surgery. Four and a half hours later, four and a half hours later, they came out, pushed me out, and I looked up, and there's a, a, a IV of sugar water flowing into my veins. I'm diabetic. It would, could, could have killed me if I hadn't noticed it, pulled it out, and I was still bleeding. They took me back into surgery again another three and a half hours and finally brought me out. Uh, that's eight hours of surgery. Uh, that's the kind of time they use for major separating Siamese twins. Uh, yeah. Well, what, did, bleeding. what did they find in your urinary tract? Did they do any nothing. lab work? <clears throat> Not, they found nothing unusual. Really, because I am finding something, and now I've found the same thing that's in me. At one point, I, I peed pretty much solid blood, and oh. somebody told me, take cream of tartar, and I did that, and I took grapefruit seed extract, yeah. um, and it never happened again. But I'm finding a, a strange little bacteria that I've found in people that have more gallon sores on their skin, so it sent me in this direction to identify it. And so far, two microbiologists have said I'm going to have to get a polymerase chain reaction or PCR test, and wow. then possibly gene tracking to see if this has been genetically altered. Well, yeah. did you have problem with uh, huge blood clots? Well, yeah, I did. I mean, it feels very strange to pee a blood clot. Uh, they passed, and I didn't reach a point where I couldn't pee, but uh, where it's painful afterwards, and sometimes you have to go really bad, and you go, and just a little bit comes out, but never where I had to have a you know catheter or anything. I, I just pretty much told angels, I said, you make this right, because I ain't going to a hospital. I'll let myself die. Yeah. I don't well, want to be implanted or you know set up worse. It was definitely a hostile environment at the hospital. They wouldn't bring me a bedpan until it was too late. And, in fact, the room partner I had there commented, he says, they're just treating you terrible here. Uh, and he says, if you need a place to stay after you get out, come over to my house. Because I was, at that time, uh, I didn't have transportation back. They had drove me down there in their van, but I had no way to get back home. Uh, but... This this whole experience, uh, in the first place, I had received two death threats uh, in the stores before the trial. And this happened two days before the trial, and this, this was major, major bleeding. And uh, being diabetic, they had, apparently they were trying to kill me with, make it look like an accident. Right, uh, right. But this was all threats before I went down. Now, previously, before before this happened, uh, about a month before, I drove down to Yucca. Uh, Kathleen Watterson was down there, and she, in fact, I think she's going back into trial pretty soon. Uh, they shredded my bank card in Tehachapi. Now, 500 miles from home, Sunday evening, cold, tired, hungry, and no gasoline. They shredded my bank card. I still had $3,000 in my checking account. That was Wells Fargo. I, I called them up. They wouldn't do a thing. They says uh, they asked me to, to identify me myself. They says, um, 
what was the exact monetary figure of the last purchase you made on this card? And I'm standing out there cold, freezing, uh, my wife in the car, cold and freezing, hungry, tired, late Sunday night, no, no stores open, no banks open. And I'm supposed to remember something like that. I couldn't remember it. So they just said, I just hung up. Uh, we can't help you. I had to stand out at the roadside and beg for food and gasoline uh, with $3,000 in my bank account. And that was the first trip I went down just to do the investigation for the trial. And then uh, just a couple of days before the actual trial happened, I, uh, I, the, uh, the bleeding started. So obviously they were trying to keep me away. Yeah, that is obvious. That's why I wouldn't send anybody from my R&D people that I had at the time to to help Kathleen because I didn't want to be an accessory to somebody getting hurt or killed. Okay, you knew her too? Yeah, she she asked me because I, I had put together R&D with Peter and Kate and a bunch of other, you know, some techs and engineers. Are you, are you Levi? No, I'm Neil Chevrier. Okay, well, I know she had, uh, after I backed out, she contacted someone named Levi to go and act as expert witness for her. Yeah, he did. He went and did it. Oh, okay. And and they they didn't win their case, but evidently they impressed the judge. Yeah, I just kind of put a heads up. But the, the real honest truth was that they did have enough information that the FCC should have stepped in. And the man should have been prosecuted as a felon for aiming microwave at a person. And the interesting thing is, I talked to her since, and she says he's still doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's we didn't set a precedent, and this is the biggest thing that we're up against: is uh, getting people up the steps of the courthouse without a heart attack or a car wreck, and then being able to submit evidence that's undeniable to set a precedent that could be followed. And this is what organized crime syndicate is terrified of and will do anything to stop us from doing so. Okay, well, then you're close to the case. I haven't heard from her recently. Did she go back to court yet? I I don't know. I haven't talked with her in months. Okay, the last I heard, she was headed back for court again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's tenacious and brave. That's great. Okay, well, that's that's my spiel on on someone asking about the blood, and that was uh, pretty much my story on the on the blood clots. I I had to drink lots and lots of water in order to get enough pressure to force those blood clots through, and I had to sit in a warm bathtub uh, in order to relax the that part of my body enough so they could squeeze out because those are large clots. You can see that that's a that's a pipe in. Uh, you know, it's big. And uh, to get those out, wow, it was really, really tough. And, and it, it doesn't come fast either. You just have to keep working at it. But I haven't had any problems since. Good, good. Because, I mean, labs should have been done. And I'm using basic dark field microscopy without culturing anything, just letting it sit at room temperature. And um, I'm just posting the video of the latest blood work that I did. Uh, that I put up on YouTube that shows these little things dancing around and they're like they have little white heads on them that are reflecting back the the LED light sources I'm using under my microscope. And they're, oh. and they're too small at 2400 to get 
a, a shape or a morphology on them for for anybody. And I've contacted a, one of the top 10 cancer research scientists that I knew before who's retired and a DNA specialist that uses uh, frequency generators to blow up pathogens, a Rife machine, because I use those too. And they're both perplexed. They said you're going to have to go on and do a PCR and, and possibly gene tracking test, but I have a feeling it's a biowarfare agent, that it's genetically I, I, altered. Sounds like that to me. I mean, this just happened, it started happening to you recently? Um, no, it's been actually about a year ago that blood came out, and then I managed to stop that and started noticing I was experiencing a lot of neuromuscular pain, so I checked all body fluids, including sweat, and was just shocked that there's thousands of whatever this organism is uh, in all my body fluids. Wow. Yeah, I'm still working on it. <laughs> well, good luck. Thank you. you know, I mean, we, we have to deal with that, too. Does anyone have any more questions, or should we call it a night? I know that... Um, there's a lot more going on tonight. Ella's got a call, and so um, I, I really want to thank both Ed and Sean yeah, for this has been wonderful. Yeah. And we, I'm sure, we all hope to hear more for both of you. Yeah, I'm sure you yeah. will. We we do. You guys are a blessing, and it's it's really refreshing to see that Kate's put together. A bunch of intelligent people because we all have a, a piece of the information to bring to the table. I, you know, and the other thing I said, I, I want everybody to keep in mind um, the focus that Bill Benny and Kirk Whibby want us to have. And what I want to do over time with everyone's help and expand everybody that we can into this is to come up with a chart of the side effects of all the various weapons and then correlate what the symptoms and side effects that people feel. And that is their goal for us to It's a great goal. Yeah. Well, I have, I have the spreadsheet already done, and that's from 400 hours of R&D, and there's between 35 and 40 different topics uh, great. from all the delivery systems and, and even things like slander. And that's great because we can load that into a database, but... The only caveat is we have to have uh, sources. So the sources have to be um, government, educational, or scientists, something like that. Um, right, all verifiable, right? You mean no yeah. speculation? Yeah. But I think we may have to resort to some speculation, for example, like physicians of human rights, if they document something. And we can just qualify the... Um, Maybe we can qualify the source to rate the uh, credibility of it or something like that. Um, so we'll just have to come up with a common and standard format so we can input it all into the same. Yeah, I'll send, I'll send that spreadsheet to you and Kate. Okay. I, you have my email? I don't. Why don't you give it to me? Uh, I can, is it written? She. I can pass that on, Ed, if you want, if it makes it simpler. Um, I'll it just, would make it simpler. Or the, I'll just send um, everyone's email in a in a uh, text within an email, 
and you'll have the whole list, everybody. That okay. would be wonderful because uh, my hearing isn't real good, and uh, I might not make out the right letters. If I see it in print, then I know what's right. Right. All right. Okay. Thank you okay. very much. And Ella, thank you. Oh, um, first, thank thanks to Ed and Neil, but Ella, did you have a speaker this evening on your call that you wanted to announce? Um, no, no speaker tonight. Um, um, maybe I'll have two or three next week. It sounds like maybe thing, things work out and Ed's able to make it. Um, probably have two oh, or three. No. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so tonight we're going to do a think tank. I have some ideas to share with the group um, just for like an hour, and then we're just going to have kind of an open discussion night. Um, you know, I was going to have, um, I was trying to get Renee Petman on, but she's tough. You know, she's a tough person to kind of get to commit. So, um, and so, and she seems, um, you know, you know, she's, uh, yeah, anyway, so I wasn't able to get her on, but maybe sometime in the future she has a documentary, which I thought would interest the community, a TI documentary that she's working on. So, but yeah, so tonight will be open discussion. Right, so when are you going to start? You were going to start at 5 o'clock. Has that changed? No, it's still going to be 5 o'clock. And then Kyle's going to take over um, about 7 o'clock, unless you want to, Neil. Oh, I don't want to take over anything. I, I like to just interact. I mean, Yeah. Well, I did you just interact. come on join us? Yeah. So, we'll just come so in and, what, 5 o'clock Pacific stuff. time? Yeah, 5 o'clock Pacific, so it'll be 8 o'clock your time. Okay, because we've been on the phone since 11 a.m., so it'll be nice to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> God, I wouldn't even talk to a girl this long. <laughs> I hear you. Well, well you still have your sense of humor. <laughs> thank you. Yep. You have to. You, you reach that point past this is too insane, and something in you just comes out for your own self-preservation, and you get goofy. Yep. Yeah. They I say you either got you either got to laugh in case you cry to to mask the fact you want to cry or something like that. There's a few different versions of it, but yeah, laughter. you just got to laugh. Laughter is yeah. the best medicine. Remember, it sure is. It sure is. I believe that. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the call, and thanks, Kate, for arranging this. I really appreciate it. It was very informative. It's been wonderful. good, and I think it's wonderful too that we have. Um, we have data, like the Audacity program, and we can play with our recorders, and we have Sean's presentation and writing, and I mean, all this yeah. is so wonderful, the extra, so that we can yeah. review it at any time we want, and we can come back, um, you know, to this call anytime you want to review, and we can pass this information on to anybody you want as well. Um, okay. Okay. Thank you. Well, thank you much. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.